If you're hearing the sound of my voice, it has not found you by mistake. You are waking up. Our planet is changing and shit is getting real. Spiritual health is more important than ever. If living the dream is starting to feel more like a nightmare, then welcome home. Let's talk about the metaphysical realities of life, death, and everything beyond. I'm your host, the yogi with the bare feet, and I'm so honored that you have decided to join me here in Spirit Space. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to episode five of the Spirit Space podcast. I'm your host, Leanne. And before we jump into this week's episode, I do have a couple of housekeeping points from episode four. Some minor notes, but I did call um, SSRIs a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, and I left out the word selective there. So an SSRI is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And uh, I was talking about how psilocybin is a serotonin reuptake antagonist. I meant to say agonist. The words sound very similar, obviously, but mean different things. Not really relevant to the context I was talking about, but I do pride myself in the accuracy of my words. So SSRI is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, and psilocybin is a serotonin reuptake agonist, not an antagonist. Two different things. My background is not medical, so forgive my clunkiness. I am still learning right along with you. Alrighty, y'all, episode five. Today we're going to be talking all about our routines and our habits and the way our brains make and break those habits using neural pathways, as well as getting the deets on one of my personal favorite habits I think everybody should develop, which is journaling. So let's start by talking about the careful balance between habits and goals, which are basically constantly competing to be in control of your actions. Your goals are obviously your goals. It's what you want to do. It takes considerable willpower to maintain the efforts that will bring you closer to your goals, but you keep it in your conscious mind as much as possible. Whereas your habits are the more mindless, reflexive behaviors that have built up over years, they happen with little to no thought on a day-to-day -day basis. And so your habits and your goals are constantly competing to be in charge of what you do every day. Most of the time, your habits are going to win. They just are. This is why most New Year's resolutions are doomed to fail. It's why most diets and exercise routines are so hard to stick to. Nine times out of 10, your habits will win the battle. To put it simply, most people just don't have as much impulse control as we think we do. And if you rely on the sheer iron force of willpower to get to your goals, you are very likely going to be disappointed. We humans are creatures of habit on a basic biological level. Goals are great in everything. They're essential, actually, but if you really want something to be a constant part of your life, you have to make it a habit. Once you've developed a few good habits, try combining them and making a routine, something that you do every day or week or month. And if you really wanna take your routine a step further, you can ritualize it by infusing a strong sense of purpose. Execute it every day with intention. Give it a little pomp and circumstance. Once you ritualize something, it becomes so important to you that 
very little on this planet will stand between you and doing the thing. I'm not going to waste too much of your time trying to convince you to cultivate positive habits in your life. You've heard it all before. You can throw a stick and hit 10 life coaches, gurus, and teachers telling you to eat better and get more sleep and yada, yada, yada. What I was more interested in when I was preparing for this episode was the neurological things that are happening inside of your brain when you're making and breaking habits. I want to begin by laying some foundational knowledge on you guys that actually is going to be helpful in many different episodes in the future. It's about how your nervous system communicates, and you'd be surprised how much your nervous system and its health has an impact on your overall well-being and your spirituality. Inside your nervous system, which includes your nerves, your spinal cord, and your brain, there are billions of neurons, which are electrically excitable nerve cells that communicate with other cells via synaptic connections. So the synapse is a structure coming off the cell that helps pass the electrical signals, which are information from cell to cell. The synapse carries the information toward the neuron. An axon is the long, slender nerve bundle that conducts the electrical signals away from the nerve cell body. So the synapse receives the impulse, moves it through the neuron, uh, that electrical information passes through the axon into the synapses of the next cell. So the jargon's not super important, but I will use it and refer to these things occasionally, and I just want to make sure we all know these are parts of the nervous system, and these Steps are how your body communicates. This is how stimuli can go from being just a flashing light in your eyes to you running away from something dangerous. This is how every part of your body is communicating with everything else, and it's going to be essential through so much of what we'll be talking about. Today we're talking about neural pathways. Now a neural pathway is going to refer to the specific path in your nervous system so the parts of your brain, your axons, your synapses that are lighting up in a specific order as a response to a certain stimuli, that's a neural pathway. Anytime you're faced with a repeated stimulus and you reply with the same thoughts or the same behaviors, you are creating and conditioning a neural pathway. Repetitive thoughts get more repetitive the more often you think them. Impulsive behaviors will become more automatic the more you enact them. Our habits are built by repetition on a neurological level. The pathways become stronger the more they're used. And a really good example of a very famous experiment that really highlights neural pathways in action is the Pavlov dog experiment. In this very famous example, the dog will salivate in response to the ringing of a bell, regardless of the presence of food. This is because it's been conditioned. The neural pathways have repeatedly been exercised to associate the ringing of a bell with a meal. So every time the dog's ears pick up the sound of the bell, the neurological pathway from the ears through the brain to the mouth will be the same in preparation for a meal. This conditioning is very easy to replicate and works in humans surprisingly well. Gandhi was dead right when he said, your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, 
Your habits become your values and your values become your destiny. I feel like this really helps drive home the point I'm trying to make. On a basic neurological level, whatever thought you think the most, or whatever action you perform the most, will become easier and more automatic on a neurological level, and it will become who you are and how you live. So be mindful of your thoughts. Interestingly, certain areas of the brain can have correlations with different personality traits. Repeated activity in these neural pathways could be a reliable way to measure a person's self-reported scores in different areas like neuroticism, agreeableness, and extroversion. Simply put, you could hypothetically get a lot of information about somebody's personality based solely off of their neurological activity that's happening in their brain. More activity in certain areas of the brain indicate a neural pathway and seem to be a strong indicator for that person having that correlated personality trait. If you're wondering what kind of experiments have led us to this information, I'll shed a little bit of light on something called optogenetics, no pun intended. In optogenetics, which is a really invasive procedure, so it really doesn't happen with humans, more or less in rat trials, Essentially, the researchers will shine a light on a specific targeted group of cells in the brain. They can stimulate these neurons and observe the effect on the neural pathways. For instance, when stimulating the infralimbic cortex in rats, they saw a marked decrease in their habitual behavior and an increase in their goal-oriented actions. Habits could be broken and reformed with relative ease by stimulating this section of the brain. As it is, it would be really hard to replicate this study in human brains, but it is really promising. Our minds are hardwired to keep us acting habitually, but it seems like there are certain parts of the brain that could be hacked, if you will, to help us overcome that process and become more goal-oriented. Maybe if we could rewire our neural pathways, it'd be easier to rewire our habits. I personally get really excited when I think about the possibilities this research has to help addicts and their habitual drug use. Our habits are stubborn, yeah, but they are not an inescapable prison. Difficulty switching between goal-oriented action and habitual behaviors is very commonly seen in conditions like OCD and addiction and people who have difficulty making decisions. If we could find a way to reliably switch our brain away from habitual behaviors to a goal-oriented action, this could change so many people's lives. Conventional wisdom would have you believe after the age of 25, your brain is more or less solidified. Who you are is who you are going to be, more or less. But our brains are flexible. Thanks to neuroplasticity, our brain's ability to react change and recover in response to an injury, environment, or other conditions, we have the ability to change the chemistry and anatomy of our brains naturally and on our own if we want. The habits are the neural pathways. New neural pathways or new habits are delicate and easy to destroy. It takes repetition and time to solidify a new neural pathway.
When you're trying to start a new habit, it's important to give yourself the right environment. If you are stressed out at all, your body's going to be in fight or flight, and it will resort to habit for survival. You're fighting an uphill battle trying to start or stop any habits during a stressful time. If you aren't eating a proper diet, staying hydrated, getting enough sleep, or physical activity, you're not giving your brain the right environment to develop a new neural pathway. It takes time. It can take up to 144 days to make a habit stick. Don't forget, mindfulness is key to getting the habit into your neural pathways. Stay mindfully engaged during the activity. If you're checking out mentally, the habit isn't being reinforced. It should be a little bit taxing, either physically or mentally, at least at first. Ironically, the most important and most difficult part of building a new habit is being consistent. I've come up with a short list of ways you can cue yourself up throughout the day to help you remember the habits you're trying to build. It won't become second nature until you've practiced it a lot. So using cues like the time of the day is an easy way to help yourself remember what you're trying to do. A good example of using the time of day to cue your habits is every day at 7.30, I have an alarm on my phone to remind me to stop eating in the evening. That's because I have a terrible habit of snacking around bedtime. That 7.30 p.m. alarm will happen every day and help condition my neural pathways to associate that time of day with stopping my eating. You can also use certain activities that you perform throughout the day to help you cue up new habits you're trying to create. A good example is when I wash the dishes, I'm reminded to be grateful. Or when I'm waiting at a red light, I remember to do a quick breathing exercise. When I feel myself getting sucked into a social media black hole, it's a cue to take a walk. When I walk into a room and forget what I was doing, I go ahead and hydrate, just in case. Cue-based habit building works because it associates everyday occurrences with the habit that you're trying to build. It automatically and almost effortlessly conditions your neural pathways to associate the cue with the desired behavior. You can also use sequential cues to help build a habit on top of a habit. Stay with me here. You might say to yourself, before I do blank, I always do blank and put two good habits you're trying to cultivate into those blanks. A good example that we all do, and if you aren't doing this, let's not meet. After I poop, I wash my hands. Or after I burp, I say, excuse me, it's reflexive. You might try to reaffirm to yourself that before I do anything in the morning, I drink a glass of water. And after I drink my morning water, I do yoga. This is linking two habits together. And now you're on your way to creating a routine. Before I lay my head down at night, I meditate. And after I meditate, I go to sleep. You can use your habits as the building blocks to create the routine that frames your entire life.
A strong routine built on a foundation of good, healthy habits can really streamline aspects of your life that get tedious at times, like having a weekly dinner routine. It takes all of the, I don't know, what do you want for dinner, out of mealtime. Routines can help keep order in times of chaos, and they are hella grounding when life gets rough, and it does get rough. Just keep in mind, the more time you spend repeating something, the more automatic and easy it will become. Just stick with it. That's why you've got to be careful repeating undesirable thoughts and behaviors. The more time you spend eating poorly, the harder it becomes to eat well. The more often you skip the gym and watch TV, the more comfortable your brain is doing that next time. Routines get boring, so mix it up from time to time by changing the time of day you do something or the location where it happens. Incorporate a friend or family member to join you in the things you would normally do alone. And using music can always make something boring a little bit more fun. Don't be afraid to mix it up. Exercising every day doesn't have to be the same exact workout each time. In fact, it's better for your body if it's not. Meal prepping every week doesn't have to include the same few meals. Be creative with your routine. The neural pathways that encode habitual behavior appear to be located in deep brain structures called the basal ganglia. Additionally, increased neural activity in the orbitofrontal cortex is associated with increased goal-oriented activity. Conversely, decreased activity in this area of the brain was found to be associated with default to habitual behaviors in mice. And while we're talking about things that reduce the neural activity in the orbitofrontal cortex, I really couldn't skip over the fact that endocannabinoids have been found to have a huge impact on our habitual behaviors. Cannabis does significantly reduce the neural activity in your brain. The endocannabinoid system in humans is totally natural. We all have endocannabinoids, which are natural messengers, in our body all the time. However, the use of cannabis does increase the amount of endocannabinoids in the body and can really negatively impact your ability to be more goal-oriented. I hate to say it, but there is something to the stigma of stoners being a little lazy. No offense, guys. Reduced activity in the orbitofrontal cortex will interrupt goal-oriented behaviors in mice. In an effort to understand the effects of the endocannabinoid system on goal-oriented action, researchers deleted one of the endocannabinoid receptors, the CB1 receptor, in the brains of some mice. And they were found to act in a more goal-oriented way and did not form habits readily. So when you delete the brain's ability to receive the endocannabinoids, you are simultaneously improving that individual's ability to set and achieve their goals, showing an obvious and negative correlation between endocannabinoids and goal setting. Wamp wamp. So don't shoot me, I'm just the messenger. But if you're really trying to start some new habits and set some better goals for yourself, you might need to look at your cannabis use and I am mostly talking to myself. So now that you know how to form a habit, let's talk about some habits that are actually worth forming. 
and I don't want to spend too much time on most of these. I have one particular habit in mind that I want to preach to you about today. But we do all know about the basic habits that you will hear people touting their benefits all the time, like exercise. Obviously, it's important to get exercise more often than not. Any amount of exercise is better than none, but you should really aim to work up a good sweat and get your heart beating a few times a week. I'd also like to partner that with saying that hydration is so overlooked by so many people. I find myself constantly amazed and wondering how some of you are alive. I literally never see some people drink water. Drink a glass of water, you dehydrated noodle. In addition to exercise and hydration, sleep hygiene is probably the next most important habit to really cultivate. And I'm going to have a whole entire episode coming soon about sleep hygiene and some of these other habits. Essentially, it's important that you're going to bed at the same time every night, even on the weekends. I know, I know. Turn the screens off for an hour or two before bed and read a book. If you need a recommendation on a good book to read, I got a lot of them. I will post some ideas over on my website with the link in the show notes for you. Meditation. I wish I started meditating sooner in life. It has changed my day-to-day life so much and has had a huge impact on my anxiety levels. The most important thing to keep in mind when you're trying to start meditating is to pick a time of day when you're almost always able to get some peace and quiet and just do it every day. Start small and work your way up. This is another thing I'm going to have a whole entire episode on in the future, so stick around, guys. So all of those habits are awesome, and there's a reason why they are the standard four that everybody always wants to tell you. Make sure you get exercise and sleep and meditate and hydrate. Those are all great, but y'all are sleeping on the journal, man. Journaling has changed my life probably more than any other single habit I've ever been lucky enough to form. I am a huge fangirl. I've been journaling since I was maybe 10, maybe younger, but only very recently did it become a habit. It took the better part of 20 years for me to become reflexive in my writing, but it is my go-to way to end my day. Journaling can help in so many ways beyond the obvious. It is by far one of the healthiest ways I can think of to process my feelings besides maybe dancing or working out. It's a great way to vent and process your emotions, and it keeps a record of things that happened in the past that might help you recognize trends. For instance, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but for 28 years of my life, I had no idea that I was having PMS symptoms until one day I was reviewing my journal entries and realized like clockwork every 28 days or so, I started having a bunch of really bad days in a row. Reviewing entries from my journal over the years also helped me realize that I was not giving enough credit to the moon and the planets and astrology. These are things I never really believed in. I really have never put much stock into the full moon causing lunacy, but I reviewed my journal and it is pretty obvious. The full moons were always tied to an insane day in some way or another, and I'm invariably exhausted the day after a full moon. It helped me realize that 
different astrological placements have different effects on me, and I can reliably go back to different dates and times throughout the years and see the effects of placements of different planets in different houses, and that might not make a lot of sense right now. I myself am still learning a lot about astrology. I only recently put any stock into it, but we will have an episode, probably maybe season two, coming up about astrology. That's right, y'all. I got this shit planned out for three whole seasons, so get ready. A journal can act as a ledger of your manifestations. Some of my entries kind of read like a order put into the universe. I don't know, maybe it's my years of working in the restaurant industry that leads me to think like that. But you can use your journal entries to call in whatever it is you want to manifest, and it'll blow your mind to review that page years down the line and see exactly how you put the order in. One of my favorite examples of this is from a journal entry that's almost six years old now. It's from when I was single and craving the companionship of my soulmate. I wrote out an entire page calling him in. It gives me chills to think about it. I wrote down his traits and even a few notes on what he might look like. I detailed his hobbies and personality and said, God, bring him to me. It was years before I met my soulmate and I wasted a lot of time on uh, not soulmates. But when I met him, he was more or less exactly what I asked for. I put in an order with the universe, and yes, the delivery took forever, but I got what I asked for. I manifested an equal and capable partner before I even knew about manifestation. If it weren't for my journal, I'd never have had the chance to read that entry from years ago, and I never would have put two and two together. How long would it have taken me to realize that I am a powerful manifester? I also read an entry once where I listed all of my requirements for the quote-unquote perfect job, and oh boy, did I get everything I asked for. Turns out it was far from a perfect job, and I didn't really know what I wanted. We humans are good at that, thinking we know what's best for us, and then we get it only to realize it wasn't what we wanted. My perfect job was a nightmare, and it didn't last six months. But thankfully, I journaled throughout all of it, from the original order to the long-winded entries a few months later, detailing how much I hated the job I manifested. For better or worse, if I write it in my journal, it happens. The pages of my many, many journals are filled with these incidences of manifestation, and it is so encouraging and empowering to have this evidence of my abilities. In your journaling, if you don't know what to write, write that. Write, I don't know what to write. Commit to just five minutes of writing the first thing that pops into your head with no judgment and no editing. Let the random thoughts flow freely from you and record each one. Keeping track of important day-to-day -day events might be helpful. You never know when you might want to look back and see what date something happened. And it's convenient if it's noted in a journal somewhere. Or if you're really running out of things to write, you can always do a dream journal like we talked about in episode 4. Perhaps the best way to utilize the pages in your journal is by keeping a list of things you're grateful for. 
I try to at least once a week make an entry purely based on gratitude. Studies have found that simple gratitude writing intervention was associated with significantly greater and lasting neural sensitivity to future gratitude. Subjects who participated in gratitude letter writing showed both behavioral increases in gratitude and significantly greater neural modulation by gratitude in the medial prefrontal cortex up to three months later. The more time you spend in gratitude, the more grateful you feel. And more gratitude leads to overall more happiness and satisfaction in your life without regard to external circumstances. Higher scores of gratitude are associated with better and more restful sleep. And there's always something to be grateful for. Before I move on away from journaling, I wanted to make a note about confidentiality. I personally think you aren't going to get the most out of a journal if there's a possibility someone else might read it and you're not comfortable with that. If you think that your thoughts will one day be exposed to the world, you're pretty unlikely to be honest and raw in your journal. That is why I firmly believe that a journal should always be protected with sacredness. Unless someone asks you to read their journal, it's a real betrayal of confidentiality to paw through someone else's private pages. You are not entitled to another person's private thoughts, period. I don't care if you're the parent and they're the child. I don't care if you think your spouse is cheating and you seek to prove it. It is a real violation of someone's privacy and cripples the healing potential of journaling if they cannot freely write their truth. If you seek clarity on a person's feelings or experiences, you can talk to them about it. And if they choose to lie about it or not disclose something, that is their choice as a free, willed human being, and you will have to find some way to accept that. But I guess that's just my opinion, and I'm not a child haver, so I don't have any room to speak on parent-child relationships, aside from having been the child whose journal was being read. I speak only from personal experience from that perspective. The only real exception I could think of that you would need to read someone's journal is if you ever get your ass true crimed, maybe it might help us find you or figure out what happened to you. That's really the only reason I can think of to read someone's journal, at least while they're still with us in this 3D realm. You get me? If you are unfortunate enough to live in a place where nothing is private, trust me, I know how tormenting it can feel when nothing, not even your thoughts, belong to you. But luckily today there are a lot of options online and digital journals that can be password protected if needed. But also, if you are the one hiding deep secrets from your loved ones, just devil's advocate here, know that sometimes opening up to people about what's going on isn't so bad. And it really can help you out. So you'll have to gauge each situation for yourself, but you 100% have a right to thoughts that are private. And thank you for coming to my TED Talk. When you reach a point that your routines have become second nature for you and require very little thought, it's time to consider 
ritualizing it. You can turn your routines into a ritual by imbuing your daily activities with purpose. Go through your day-to-day with intention. Why does this matter to you so much that you do it every day? You make it more important than anything else. Any part of your day can become a ritual. In fact, any ceremony in which the actions and wording follow a prescribed form and order is, by definition, a ritual. In some circles, this word may have developed a bad connotation. Being raised in a conservative Christian home lent a very scary tone to the word ritual, but ironically, Christianity itself is littered with rituals. We all perform rituals of some type every day, baptism and communion being two prime examples. Prayer and meditation are rituals. The Pledge of Allegiance in the United States of America is a ritual. Graduations, marriages, even funerals, regardless of the specific culture, they are all ritualistic. Most holidays have certain rituals associated with them. It's important to human social and psychological health to mark certain milestones in life. Rituals are part of what it means to be a human being, and their power comes from their familiarity, their order, and their repetition. They bond us to our tribe. They're essential for ordering our families, friendships, work, play, and personal lives. They help form our identities, both individually and communally. Ritual is how we pass on wisdom and belief across generations. Without rituals to make us feel incorporated with a group of other humans, we tend to feel isolated, unmoored, and disoriented in life. Humans are social AF. You might consider yourself introverted or antisocial, and I definitely do, but we still need human connection. Deep social bonds are absolutely essential to whole human health, and we cannot live in isolation. That's why now, in light of global pandemics and the subsequent social stranding that is happening to us all, personal rituals may be more helpful than ever. Perhaps an activity with a defined beginning, middle, and end can help us all feel a little more comfortable and grounded in an experience that is going on and on with no sign of ending. That's why now more than ever, I think it's important to find a few routines that are just really working well for you. Combine them together, add a little pomp and a little circumstance, and get habitual with your ritual. Now you may be asking yourself, where can I get some rituals? Plenty exist. Peruse any self-help section in a bookstore and you'll find no shortage of books swearing to have the recipe for success therein. Tons of these books are great reads and have helped a lot of people, but an equal number of them are garbage and some are straight up terrible advice. Proceed with caution when letting anyone else tell you how you should live your life, including me. But I like to say you should get your habits, routines, and rituals by learning from people who are doing the things you want to do. 
Not everyone has to wake up at the crack of dawn and take a mountain of supplements to be successful because everyone's idea of success is different. Look around. Who do you see that is winning at life? What are their rituals? You can draw from your religious or ethnic background. I like to mix and match influences, but always being mindful of cultural appropriation, which I also have another episode coming up on that, maybe in season three. You don't have to use rituals from any certain source. You can make up your own. Just keep in mind your intention. What's your goal in life right now? Are you trying to improve your physical health? Are you in search of your higher self? Sick of your job and ready to make a big career shift? Maybe you just need some extra peace in your life. Decide first what your end goal is and go from there. What are some of your rituals? What's a ritual you'd like to add to your life? When will you start? There's some homework for you. Spend some time this week reflecting on your daily routines and see if there's any part of your life you would like to ritualize. Write it out. What will it look like to have this ritual every day? How can this make your life better? Why is your new ritual more important than anything else that will happen today? That's all for me this week, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in every week. It makes all the difference in the world to see that people are listening to what I have to say. And if this episode or any of my episodes mean anything to you, please share it with a friend. I look forward to talking to you guys over on Instagram. And if you're looking for journaling prompts or you just need help with knowing what to journal, I was thinking about coming up with a few lists and putting them somewhere. So if that is something you're interested in, please let me know. I'm not going to waste the energy making it if nobody really finds it useful, but I would be happy to share my tips and tricks with you guys. Don't forget to do your homework and ask yourself every day, am I dreaming? <laughs>